0: everybody, glad you're here. I want to thank God for you. I love you guys. Um, I'm sorry I didn't get to greet all of you personally. Um, I'll try to start up in those sections next week, but feel the hug, be the hug. Um, What a joy to do life and love in Jesus with you. I want to greet those who are watching online. And you know, there's something cool about the online ministry. We have a family that's with us for the very first time today who's been watching online, and they've come to be baptized. And so, yeah. And so, I'm expecting that everybody else watching online this week will come next week and be baptized. Okay, got that straight. Um, Hey, if you're here for the first time, man, we are delighted uh, to have you. What a thrill uh, that you've come, that God has brought you. And I just wanna help you uh, feel a little at ease to connect with the teaching that's going to happen. We are in uh, the book of Colossians. It's a short book. Paul, the apostle Paul, wrote it from jail uh, to the church. It was like 1,300 miles away. He's in Rome. This is the church in Colossae. Now, we're ready to start chapter three, but he begins chapter three with one word, sense. And that word sense reaches all the way back to chapter two. So I'm going to connect the dots for you, but first let's pray. Would you bow with me? Father, we, we have come. We have cracked open our souls to you in worship. And now we long to hear you speak into our lives. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Lord Jesus, speak. Your servants are listening. In your name we pray, amen. In 1962, I was 11 years old. I really wanted to lie about the year, but that's the truth. 1962, I was 11 years old. But coincidentally, in 1962, Taco Bell opened their first store, so I got that going for me. Um, But get this, in 1962, Walmart, Kmart, and Target opened their first stores. In 1962, when I was 11 years old, Elvis was at the top of the music charts. And in 1962, the Green Bay Packers won the NFL championship. Yeah. Okay, yeah. You guys are gross. Uh. But in 1962, I was 11 years old, and man, I wanted to be baptized. I was so fired up, driving people crazy, talking to everybody who would listen about my desire uh, to join Jesus in baptism. And my mom and dad were trying to calm me down and rein in their real little fanatic. And my mom and dad made a compromise with me. They said, if I would go to this Christian camp where I would like for from Sunday afternoon to Saturday morning, go through classes every morning, do worship every night. They felt like then I, I would know what I needed to know to be baptized. And so I did it, I enjoyed all of it. And when I get, got home on the next Sunday morning, I'll never forget, walking down the aisle um, at church, the pastor, uh, he's waiting on me. His name was Lester Ragland. And I declared publicly, in front of that little church in that little town, my faith in Jesus. And I put on one of those old-timey white baptismal gowns and the pastor put me under the water and raised, well, really the pastor didn't raise me up. The Bible teaches that it is the supernatural power of God, not just me, but anybody who is baptized that gets raised up to do new life. The old is gone, the new has come, and that was me at that time. And I'll never forget it. In fact, how many of you can rem- remember the spiritual specialness of your baptism? That it was a big, big moment for you, bunches and bunches of you. But um, e- even though my, my baptism when I was 11 was unforgettable, the, the, the most important baptism happened in my life, happened 30 years later. I was in Israel leading my first uh, trip over there. And a bunch of people from our church were with me, a bunch of people from a church in St. Louis. And um, early in the trip, we were visiting all the holy places where Jesus did ministry and did miracles. And early in the week, um, at the end of one day, we were at the Jordan River. In fact, I was in the Jordan River, and I was baptizing people from our church and baptizing people uh, from another church that was with us. And when I got done... Um, I, I started to make my way out of the river and I was glad because, man, it was stinking freezing cold and fish were biting me. And now you know why my, I have like chicken legs and fish like chicken and that's what was going on. But, but before I could get out of the water, a couple of young women from our church who were just in street clothes. This hadn't been on their plans, but now God had put it in their hearts. They started wading out into the river just in their street clothes. They wanted to be baptized. They got to me, David, would you baptize us? I said, absolutely. And I baptized each of them. And before I could move, they said, would you like for us to baptize you? And I'm like, oh, yeah, baby, that would be awesome. And And they did. They, they put me under the water, and I remember just kind of hovering there for a moment. And in my mind, I'm like, I know this is not the very spot where Jesus was baptized, but this is everything to me. I came up out of the water that obviously the trip went on. Heck, 30 years have gone on. I'm 71. I'll never forget my first baptism at 11. But that baptism 30 years later at 41, at that point, It was so meaningful, so significant, because I knew then, as a man, what I didn't know as an 11-year-old boy. A man, I celebrate every 11-year-old child that's baptized, but as a 41-year-old man, at that time, I knew all the profound implications of being joined with Jesus in baptism. In fact, I asked, you know, a while ago, how many of you remember the spiritual specialness of your baptism, and maybe you've never been joined with Jesus in baptism, and maybe it would be good for you just to take a moment and imagine how meaningful that spiritual experience would be for you. Well, this is what the Apostle Paul from jail is trying to convey to the Jesus followers in Colossae. He's talking to them about baptism, and he does use, in chapter 3, the word sense, but it reaches back to verse 12 in chapter 2. Here we go. Reads like this, and I, I guess they probably put it up there. It's the phrase I want you to get tattooed on your left thigh this week, that baptism is a game changer for our spiritual lives, okay? Can you remember that tattooed left thigh? Okay, here we go. You, get this, you were buried. You were buried under the water. You were buried with Christ when you were baptized. Check out the connection between burial and baptism. And with him, you were raised to new life. In fact, Jesus calls it the super abundant life. He says, I came to give you life and that life super abundant. You were raised, and notice the word raised and trusted go together. You were raised a new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Jesus from the dead. Okay, that's chapter 2. That's verse 12. That's what Paul is reaching back to in chapter 3 when he uses the word since. Here we go. Chapter 3, verse 1. Since since you have been raised in baptism with Christ. Notice that in these short four verses, Christ is mentioned, referred to five times. It's all about Jesus. Okay, here we go. See if you can pick one out, each one out. Since you have been raised with Christ, here's what you do now. You set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And here's what you do now. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. One of the things that jumped out at me from this text is that re- baptism is all about relationship. Did you notice the three relational prepositions? With Christ, raised with Christ, hidden with Christ, appear with Christ. Baptism is all about our relationship with Jesus. And each of those relational phrases were attached to our past. Our baptism has wonderful implications for our past and for our present, our right now, and for our future. Let me break it down for you. Here's how Paul did it in the text. About your past, he said, here's the great benefit for your past, you have been raised with Christ. You've been raised out of your past. Your past has been fully, completely, freely forgiven. Your past is put behind you. You can learn from your past, but you don't have to live in your past anymore. You, by your baptism, you are cleansed of all guilt and shame. Everything you ever did wrong, everything you ever thought wrong, everything you ever said wrong in your past, it is all forgiven. Jesus died on the cross to pay for all the sins of your past. You are set free. And look at the present, the right now. He said baptism has an implication for right now. Right now, your life is hidden with... Christ in God. This is all about security. This is all about Jesus being your double safe place. Why do I say double? Because you are with Christ in God, hidden with Christ in God. It's the most. There are not very many safe. There, I would just go far to say this way: in this world, there are no safe places, but you can find safety. You can find security in a relationship with Jesus. Maybe I could put it this way when you make Jesus your refuge, he goes to work to your good. He works everything in your life to your good. When you are hidden in Christ, when you take refuge in Christ, he works everything in your life to the good. He makes everything beautiful in his time. I mean, bad stuff happens. Hurtful things happen. The worst possible thing happens. But Jesus makes everything beautiful in his time when you take refuge in your relationship with him. When you take refuge in Christ, hide in him, find him as your security, your safe place, he is able to do immeasurably, abundantly, exceedingly more than all we can ask or even imagine according to his power that's at work within us. As we hide in him, his power hides in us. When you take refuge in Jesus, you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength, who gives you hope, who gives you peace, who gives you joy, who gives you love and just keeps giving you love, joy, and peace. But baptism has implications not just for your past and your right now, but for your future. The scripture says, Paul says, here it is, you will appear with him in glory. In your future, because you've been joined with Jesus in baptism, now when Jesus appears in his glory, you will appear with him. In fact, Revelation 19 says that one day, and only God knows the day, He will speak and all heaven will burst open and there will be Jesus seated on white stallion, his name faithful and true. And the word of God in Revelation 19 goes on like this. His name is the word of God, that's Jesus. And the armies of heaven wearing pure white linen follow him on their white horses. On his clothes and on his thigh, he has a name written king of kings, and Lord of lords, and you get to appear with him. Wait, wait a minute, who? Who gets to appear with Jesus when he returns? Who gets to go to heaven? Who gets to appear with Jesus in glory, who? Right before Jesus leaves planet Earth, he clears up all the confusion on this one. In Mark 16, 16, he says anyone anyone, anyone is me, anyone is you, anyone who believes, believes what? Believes that Jesus is God who came to earth through human birth, lived a sinless life, died on the cross in our place to pay for our sins and God raised him from the dead. If you believe that and are baptized, you will be saved. Now the danger, this promise of Jesus is unbreakable. But the danger is to make the mistake of thinking that baptism is a one-way ticket to heaven. Nothing could be further from the truth. Baptism is simply the first thing you do when you come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God who died for your sins and whom God raised from the dead. You believe that? If you come to believe, the first thing you do is get baptized. It's simply the first thing you do. You spend the rest of your life 24-7, 365, following Jesus. You follow him in your marriage. You follow him at school. You follow him at work. You follow him in your parenting. You follow him in your finances. And you just follow him all the way to heaven. Baptism is simply the first response to his saving love. It's not your one-way ticket to heaven. Jesus is your one-way ticket to heaven. You can get baptized in here. Uh, you can get baptized in Israel. I would not recommend the Rock River, at least right now. Um, you can get baptized in any number of places, any number of times, but it's not the baptism that saves you. It's, it's Jesus. And if you stop following him, you jack duck out of luck. But if you follow him you follow and you keep following you just follow him right into heaven and appear with him and glory. Paul says that's, those are the huge implications of baptism for your past and for your present and for your future. But when you're living right now, when you're living right now, you got to know what raises your life to the heights because you get to choose. You can either do your life, your relationships, your emotions, your finances, your marriage, your family, your parenting on a high level on the, at the heights or you can be drugged down to the depths. So you gotta know, you gotta know what it is that's gonna keep you, your life, raised up to the heights. Here's how Paul said it as we continue in the text. He says, first thing you do, set your heart on the things above, on the heights, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your heart, that means your passion. If you are passionate about the wrong things. Man, I mean, at first it looks so alluring. It's so seductive. But when you set your passion on the wrong things, inevitably, your life goes into a tailspin, a painful death spiral. Your marriage may go into a death spiral. Your emotions may go into the pit. You may find yourself in a financial mess when you set your passion on the wrong thing. So Paul says, You don't want to do life at the heights. I mean, you can do your marriage at the heights. When the passion of Jesus and passion for Jesus is in your marriage, you, you can do your emotions at the heights. When, when your passion for Jesus profoundly impacts your emotions, and Paul says, once you get that right, once you get your heart right, and get your passion going in the right direction, now you can get your head right. Look what he says next. He writes, so set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Set your mind, that's three words in English, but you know the Bible wasn't written in English. Paul wrote this in Greek, and he uses only one Greek word. We say set your mind, but it's only one Greek word, phreneo. And phreneo means to exercise your mind to keep it in agreement with, in this case, God. Exercise, your mind is like a muscle. And so you exercise, you gotta work it. It's work, you exercise it to keep your mind in agreement with God. Exercise your mind to keep it in agreement with God, you keep your mind, keep what you think about your marriage in agreement with what God's word says about your marriage. And you get to keep doing your marriage raised up to the heights. Keep your emotions in agreement with what God says about your emotions in his word. And your emotion you get to do your emotions at the heights I tell you, friends, even your finances, if you keep your mind in agreement with what God's word says about your finances, you get to do finances at the height. You get to raise your life up to the heights. You gotta know what raises your life up to the heights. But equally important is knowing what will drag your life down to the depths. Because if you don't pick up on these things, You'll find yourself in a dark place. You'll find yourself in the pits. You gotta know what will drag your life down. I mean, it's important to know what will raise your life up. Set your heart, set your mind. Exercise your mind to agree with God. Keep in agreement with God. But know what will drag you down to the depths. And here's what I gotta say about me. And I'm, it's true of you. You gotta kill your demons before they kill you. This is not exorcism. This is exercising your mind to stay in agreement with Christ. Here's how Paul says it about killing your demons. He says, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do. I mean, we all have sinful earthly things lurking within us. The trick is to find them, identify them, and kill them. He says, have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and and evil desires. Don't be greedy. I love the fact that he added those last three words, don't be greedy, because in much of my time as a pastor here, I've heard people really ready to point fingers of blame and shame at others because of sexual sin or... In fact, the very first year I was here, I was just 20 in my 20s. And we were going to have a baby dedication. And one of the young women who had signed up for the baby dedication was a teenage girl um, who had no relationship with a father. You know what I mean? She was an unwed teenage girl who had a baby. And oh, man, a bunch of fingers were pointing in my face. Who do you think you are, including her? What do you think that says to all the good girls? I said, I got a clue for you. There are no good girls. No, I didn't. (laughs) No, there's no good boys either. There's no good men. There's no good women. I'm not good. You're not good, okay? Quit pointing your fingers in my face. They said, no, when they said that, what do you think that will say? I said... That our God shows His grace to everyone. But man, all through the years, I've had people be that way, I want to point fingers of blame and shame. And so now that I've been around the block and I know this scripture, I like to ask them you know, the, uh, a sin that's equal with any other kind of sin is greed. And so I'll ask them, do you give the first 10% of your income to the Lord out of every pay period? That's what the Bible says you're to do. It's not your money. It belongs to God. Scripture says it's holy unto him and belongs to him only. And the only reason you wouldn't do what God says to do with your money is that you're greedy. Then they took the fingers down. You see, we sh- none of us should ever point fingers of judgment and condemnation and shame and blame at anybody. All we should do is cover our face and beg our God, please save us from our sin. But here, here's the deal, you guys. I'm serious about this. You got to know what drags you down into death you got to find your demons, identify them, and kill them. They will kill you. They will kill your relationship. They'll kill you emotionally. They'll put you in a bad place every time. And it's always a choice between life and death. Here's what the Bible says. I set before you today life and death. You get to choose. You're going to have a life of blessing or your life is going to be cursed by God. You get to choose life or blessing. Choose life that you and your children may live. Two things I got to say. I haven't said this to any, in any other service, but I got to tell you, when Jesus died on the cross, he took all the curses of God. God will never curse you. God will bless you. If you choose Jesus, you choose life and you choose blessing and you choose him to bear all the curses. But look at this it has a ripple effect. If you choose life, it ripples to those closest to you. It ripples to the dear friends. It ripples to your children. It may ripple to your grandchildren. But for sure, when you choose life and blessing, it ripples to those that you love best. Now, I think maybe something happens uh, before a relationship gets killed. I think something starts to stink. And you can get a whiff of it. There's... Something goes rotten in our emotions at times. So we gotta use the garbage disposal. We gotta figure out what's in our life that's garbage and dispose of it. Um, Here's how the Apostle Paul writes in Colossians. Quit, this is garbage, quit being angry. Anger is garbage, get rid of it, down the disposal. Hateful and evil. Hey, what's hateful and evil? Well, it's saying insulting and cruel things about others. Put it in the garbage disposal and stop lying. Put all the lies in the garbage disposal. You gotta get rid of the garbage. Now, it's time for me to put all this together for you. Paul reaches back into chapter two about baptism. And he says, these are the implications. These are the positive, profound benefits for your past. Your sins are forgiven. The slate is wiped clean. You you are a new creation. Evermore Jesus, ever you, ever you. And for your right now, I mean for your right now, Jesus is alive in you. His hope is alive. His joy is alive. His peace is alive in you. You get to be hidden with Christ in God where he works all things together for your good. And you have a future in heaven forever where you get to do what you love best with those you love most forever all in the presence of Jesus. And then he closes it with a three word exclamation point. Says you gotta figure out your demons and kill them before they kill you. You gotta know what drags you down, your garbage, and put it in the disposal. And then he says three words. Here's the deal, guys. Here's why you would be baptized. Christ is everything. Do you believe that? I want you to say it with me. Now, I know there's all kinds of people here today Every weekend, people come who are just kind of kicking the tires on Jesus, just kind of sniffing around to see if he's the real thing. And so I'm going to lead our congregation, and we get rowdy. Um, And so if you believe Jesus is everything, I'm going to ask you to say it with me. Uh, But I'm not going to ask you to say it if you don't believe it. That's okay. Just stand there and look around at the people who have surrendered their lives to him because he is our everything. So everybody... Please stand. And anybody, anybody who does believe, I mean, this is why we kill our demons before they kill us. This is why we would want our lives raised up to the heights and not dragged down to the depths. This is why we celebrate baptism. Because Christ is everything. I'm going to say it, and if you want to, if you believe it, say it after me. Are you ready? Christ is everything. Christ is, Christ is everything. Okay, one more time and we're going to blow a fuse on the dig- on the computers of people at home. Are you ready? Christ is, Christ is everything. Praise the Lord. And so believing that Christ is everything, um we've had a number of baptisms already this weekend. We have a family, mom and dad and children being baptized in just a moment. And if you would like to experience Jesus fully in his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism, this is the time when you would just walk to the front, come right up to me or one of the staff, and we'll help you with this spiritual experience. But I tell you something, I didn't get to stop and pray or say hey to everybody in the room. And if there's some way that we can pray with you for any struggle going on in your life, you're free to come right now too and come up to one of us and we'll call down the goodness of God on you. So, hey, this happens here every weekend. Don't worry about what anybody thinks. They're cheering you on. Just come, come to Jesus. Jesus is everything. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wired Podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and have a great week.